I would like to begin <clears throat> with a couple of quotes. And I don't have the, the, them written here, but I can remember them. So this will be pretty close. The first one is from the second great Taoist uh, master, Zhuangzi. And the quote goes something like this. I do not know if what people consider happiness is happiness or not. All I know is when I consider the way they go about attaining it, I see them carried away headlong, grim and obsessed, swept up in the general onrush of the human herd, unable to stop themselves or change direction. All the while they claim to be just on the point of attaining happiness. Second quote, this will also be pretty close, which is one of my early from one of my early teachers, Hari Das. I don't know if he's still alive or not. He lives here in the Santa Cruz area. <clears throat> he's in a different tradition, comes out more of a, of a Hindu yoga tradition. But I think the essence of it is uh, good Buddha Dharma. And the quote goes something like this. We live our entire lives from this perspective, seeking those things, people, situations we think will make us happy and avoiding those we think will make us unhappy. We, leave, we, lead, we live our entire existence from this point of view. But even when the situation seems ideal, there is always the nagging certainty that the happiness and contentment of the moment will change, that the situation will ultimately be lost. In fact, we are never at pe totally at peace. There is always something to worry about. Ordinary life is really a constant dilemma. Spirituality has nothing to do with stoicism or self-denial or disregard for worldly responsibility. Spirituality means learning how to live life as free conscious, free conscious and <clears throat> loving beings instead of from the point of view of dilemma. I like that quote a lot. And so I, for me, um, all of Dharma can, I think it's a lovely way to sort of distill down the essence and you'll have to see if you relate to it. But you know, how can I live as a free, conscious and loving being instead of from the point of view of dilemma? And so that's what I would like to explore a little. And so I wanna talk just about that whole idea of, of this liberation that Buddhism, that Dharma points to, which is called the liberation through non-clinging and just get a sense of what, what we mean by that. And then spend most of the time talking about our theme of this retreat, mindf mindfulness of the body. How can that support us in deepening in this liberation that's being pointed to? But first, what do we mean by liberation through non-clinging? It's a big topic. So going back to what Hari Das was in, in that quote was talking about you know, whether we're conscious of it or not, really, you know, I mentioned the other night, I think most people here I don't know at all, few of you I've known for a while, but I feel confident in one thing that I think is probably true, I know is true for, for every one of us here in this room. We're all trying to have more of what we want happen to us in life. I talked about this on the opening evening and less of what we don't want to have happen to us, right? Anybody here trying to have 
more unpleasant experiences and less pleasant experiences in your life? I don't think so. I don't think so. Right? And look, I think that's what living beings and creatures do. If you just take, I don't know, a single cell bacteria or protozoa and you know, whatever, if it doesn't like the light and you shine the light, it's going to kind of squirm away from the light or whatever. You know, this is just what we do. So it's not, we're not doing anything wrong. Right? We're not doing anything wrong. It's just what is to be human being. And it's okay, except for one thing. Sometimes you get what you want. I said this the other night. Sometimes you don't. Despite our best efforts, we're all trying. We're all really trying. Nobody's trying to screw up their life. We're trying to make it better and we're doing the best we can. Sometimes you don't get what you want and sometimes you get what you don't want. Life has an element, in case you haven't noticed, of uncertainty and uncontrollability. I would actually uh, take it further and say that uh, any sense of control in life is an illusion, but I don't want to quibble over that. Let's just say there's a, uh, uh, hopefully you can agree that there's some element of uncertainty in life. Life is uncertain, it's, it's, you know, you can't just totally control it. You, you know, next time something unexpected that you were not expected, expecting happens that you don't like, um, there it is right there. And what happens for all of us, I think, is the tendency is when things are going our way, we forget, we become complacent and it's just kind of unconscious thinking things will just continue on and on as they have been. And when, when some difficulty arises, some real suffering, we also forget and we think it's, it's gonna be like this forever, right? And so we're led around in a way, kind of like, you know, the, a bull with a ring in its nose led around by our likes and dislikes, by our desires, by our, our well-being has been handed over to the, f the vicissitudes, the fortunes of life. It's out of our control. So it's a pretty tenuous situation we all find ourselves in when you really think about it. And so what Dharma is asking us then, the question, the invitation is, is there a way given this life, here we all are, how we got here, I mean, what is going on? It's a big, big mystery. You know, existence itself, why, is, it's just a mystery. But we're here, we're in it. We're part of, of it, we're part of nature. We're part of the mystery. So what are we gonna do? Are we gonna live from the perspective of dilemma or can we start to make a shift? And this is the invitation from Dharma. Given the way life is, uncertain, look, the world's filled with a huge amount of happiness and joy and it's filled with a huge amount of suffering. It's got a lot of both. And each of us individually might have more weighted in one direction or another at any given time in our lives. But this is the situation we're in. So the invitation then is, we don't wanna be foolish and stop trying to take care of our lives. There's a story that Ajahn Chah, who was a great Thai monk and meditation master tells, it's in, you can find it in some of his writings, where he says one of his young monks, they live in these little huts called kutis, and a windstorm had come and had blown the, the roof in. So he had the walls and it was kind of half leaning down and open to the sky, and people came to Ajahn Chah and said, reported that he wasn't repairing his roof. He would just uh, sit there meditating, even with it open, didn't do anything to change it. And then if the sun would came, come out, he'd kind of go underneath where it had collapsed to get a little shelter. And Ajahn Chah says he went to the monk and said, what's going on? And told him, you know, you gotta, you gotta take care of, of business. You have to take care of your property and fix things and take care of things. And the monk said something like, you know, I don't know what you want from me. 
you keep talking about letting go and letting go, and I let go to this extent, and you're still not happy. <laughs> and then Ajahn Chah said back to him, well, why do you even bother then to move from the sunlight into the shade? <laughs> and he goes on to say, some people can be so stupid like this. So we're not saying don't take care of yourself. That would be foolish in all the ways, you know, we, that, that, what that looks like in all aspects of your life. But it goes back really to the old, and I, I can never get the quote right. Some of you I know can help me. It's the serenity prayer. And it basically asks God to give you um, basically, what is it? The, the things you can't, cannot, somebody help me here. Okay, wisdom to change the things I can. Anyway, wisdom or whatever to change, the, to accept what I cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference. Courage to change the things I can. Patience to accept the things I cannot. The wisdom to know the difference. That's the whole Dharma right there. That's what they're pointing to. So we, we don't want to throw out the half that says to, to be, live in a way that's wise in the world. Problem is we completely forget the other half. That's what I want to focus on now. And that is the place where rather than our well-being being completely tied up in circumstances or in the having or not having certain experiences, can we make a shift and start to find our well-being in how we relate to whatever happens? It's not so much what is happening, it's how we're relating to what is happening. That's a big shift, right? That's the place for non-clinging. And of course, this is a, a long-term proposition that we're all working on, right? We see here on retreat, it's not always so easy. You come here, and we, right, you sit down, and you know, like we said before, it's, you know, everybody's loving. You can create your own schedule. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but really take care of yourself. Uh, if you get hungry between meals, they've got the yogi refrigerator, get some food. If you need to take naps, you have your own room. You can, really, it's, you don't have to make anything happen, and it can be hard. That's part of the learning. That's part of the teaching. And so we're all engaged in this, and sometimes it can, it's really a uh, heroic in a way of what we're trying to do, just to learn how to be with ourselves, right? And then, of course, how can that affect how we learn how to be with others and, and show up in the world and in society? And there's a lot of ramifications to this, right? So real difference. If we learn to be wisely responsive to ourselves rather than automatically reactive, then hopefully we can be wisely responsive rather than automatically reactive to other people and to situations in the world. And then rather than creating more suffering, we can be a light in the world that helps lead to more well-being and more happiness, right? So this is the training we're doing. It's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing that we're doing. The flow of experience keeps going. You can't stop it. Life goes on. It just keeps going on. You can't stop it. You can't stop it. <laughs> I've actually said that before when I've gotten mad, and it's like me and God are going to have it out out here in the courtyard. I can't stop it. I can't stop it. And, uh, you know, well, we know how that's going to come out, right? <laughs> but that's the feeling sometimes. So if we can learn... And I'm not saying it's always easy. I want to say something about being respectful because sometimes, you know, it's easy to sit up and say, learn to be present with, with things as they are. Not always so easy. And so you have to be respectful. That'll be a, how some of the compassion comes in too. But this is the place of this path of non-clinging. So we can think of in a simplified way of the whole Dharma as learning of, of opening the heart, settling the mind, right? Not letting our hearts close off, loving kindness, compassion, empathy, and in all the different senses of those terms, and then resting at peace, and, with, and, and that's the place of non-clinging. So that's kind of, that's what the, kind of quickly what, where I would say the Dharma is coming from. So the question then is, how do we actualize this in our lives? And I want to focus on, there's many 
things that can help us and teach us, and I want to focus on how the body can teach us. Right? And both in the area of compassion and in the wisdom side and the liberation through non-clinging. Well, just what I said, how can the body teach us? We have to be open to see the body as our teacher. That's the first thing, right? Rather than automatically falling into uh, uh, a fight in a battle with ourselves, we learn to, to lay down our arms, stop the fight. But again, I want to be very respectful. That's not always so easy. It's easy just to say that. But what do we do when, you know, when we're dealing with something really serious? So we want to spend some time on that, okay? But we have to see the body as a teacher. And so first of all, we have to have enough mindfulness so we're not on automatic pilot to be present enough to not fall into habitual reactivity. And that's what we're working on. That's why we do these practices, to deepen that mindfulness. And it naturally carries more and more that wakefulness out of the formal practices more and more into our lives. So, but moment by moment, you do the best you can. You don't worry about the times when you lose your mindfulness. I'll give you an example. Uh, some of you have heard this, but uh, you know when we give meditation instructions, what is the instruction we give? Say you're sitting here doing mindfulness of breathing meditation or whatever you're doing. What's the instruction, if anyone want to say, for when you, uh, you lose your mindfulness, you forget about the breath, and you're just completely lost in thought? Anybody want to say what, what's the instruction? Yeah, right. It's a trick question. But yes, that's right. It depends on you saying, come back. There is no instruction when you're lost. You don't even know you're gone. The instruction only kicks in when you're back already, and then it's connect back with the breath. But you already have to be back to even know you're gone. So when you're gone, look, there's nothing you can do. It's true in those times, you don't have any freedom or, or choice. You're going to habitually respond or react in a situation according to causes and conditions, the patterns of your mind. So hopefully we continue to work on those. That's why we want to continue to develop wholesome qualities. Part of Dharma practice is that part of it is that we um, continue to, uh, to be more mindful and present and awake more and more of the time naturally. You don't have to do anything. It's just a fruit of practice. And when we do get lost, it's less deeply, and we've cultivated wholesome qualities, so our natural, unconscious, habitual response is more wise and skillful too. So these are all the fruits that come for the practice. But in a given moment, you do the best you can, okay? That's on the cushion meditating, and it's out there in life, right? Hopefully we don't cause too much breakage uh, during the times when we do f fall into the trance. But when we wake up, then we have some choices. And we can start to see life as our teacher. Do the best you can. That's not always so easy. Some teachers uh, are easier to work with than others. But um, we start to see that. We can bring that attitude to the body. And then the body has a number of ways and functions in which it can help us to become more aware. If you want to free yourself from your suffering, we need to be more aware of the ways we create our suffering. Right? Right? How do you become aware of, how do you come to know something, have some experience with it, right? So when the suffering comes, assuming it's not too much and overwhelms us, that's a different, different discussion, but if, it's, if we can work with it, and part of life is learning to expand our circle to encompass more, wider and wider range of our lives. You know, you can think of, of yourself sitting at the center of a circle, and then the circumference of the circle contains all the experiences of your life for which you can be present and at peace, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant. And if it's too strong, it's outside your circle, then you better either find a way to expand your circle or you better be able to bring the intensity down or you're gonna suffer. You know, really. And that is a lot of suffering if it is too much and we can't bring the intensity down, right? That's a place the body can teach us about compassion. And I'll come back to that in a little bit, say more about that. So we need to wake up and, and come to know ourselves more. And sometimes we don't want to. 
my wife once uh, came back from, she had been, uh, it was either a three or four month long retreat. So it was a long retreat. And we hadn't been in that much, this was maybe 10 years ago or so, and we hadn't been in that much contact. A little bit once in a while. She'd like, every couple of weeks or weeks, she might call me and just say, hi, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then that would be it, you know. And then, So I didn't really know how her retreat was. And she came home and uh, I said, well, how was your retreat? First thing out of her mouth. I, I just don't know if this meditation's all that great. <laughs> <laughs> She'd had a hard time. <laughs> all right, tell me what's going on. And then she said, I mean, do I have to feel everything? Do I have to see everything? <laughs> there are things in there that I didn't want to know was in there. <laughs> and then I think trying to be a little humorous, she said, I mean, wouldn't it be better if you just go through all your life, you don't feel nothing, you don't know anything, you're just kind of numb and asleep, and then maybe... I don't know, maybe at the moment of when you die, maybe there's just one moment of, oh shit, and then you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to go through a whole life of like working through this stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I can relate to that. I think there's, I understand where she's coming from, but of course it doesn't work that way because even if we don't see and feel and know these things, they're subconsciously, unconsciously part of our makeup and they're influencing us. And so those forces are there. So if we, want to, uh, if we want to live in a way where our heart never closes off to any beings, then on subtler and subtler levels, when uh, things come that do close our hearts off, we use that as an opportunity to reveal what had been hidden and we use it. And when situations come from which it's harder to let go, uh, on s even subtler and subtler levels, we can be more aware and use those as opportunities. So we want to be, we need to see things as our teacher and we want to be more awake. So what are the ways that the body can act as a teacher? Well, it's a lot. I'll just pick a few. Some of you in the front row here, maybe, can you see this? You see that dark spot on my arm there? Yeah. You can see that? I don't know if you can see it in the back. I have this little dark spot here. Some number of years ago, it, I didn't always have that. It started darkening and I got this dark spot here and I thought, well, you know, what's that? I don't know, maybe I should go to the doctor and have it checked out. I don't know, maybe it's skin cancer or something. I should have it checked out. So I went to the dermatologist and he looked at it and he gave it some technical name and he goes, well, it's, it's, don't, it's nothing to worry about. It's age spot. And I'm like, Age spot? <laughs> what do you mean it's nothing to worry about? <laughs> I, I don't do age spots. <laughs> don't, don't tell me. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> age spot. Now, there's, you, there's more popping out. <laughs> so I'm getting older. There's, I'm seeing a whole bunch of them here. And, and at one point I was thinking, uh, you know, can't they take a laser and kind of zap those things off? you know, or something. And then I thought, no, I'm not zapping those off. That's my teacher. It's teaching me. First of all, I earned these age spots, number one. But number, you know, you stick around long enough. But then second of all, it's teaching me. And what is it teaching me? This is what happens to a body. Nothing's going wrong. It's just what happens to bodies when they get old. And it's not doing it in order to teach me. It's just being a body. But I can take the teaching to remind me, oh yeah, this is what happens as bodies get older. Right? Right there. Find your own examples. There are plenty of them. When, um, um, you know, here in California, I, uh, I don't know if everyone here is from California, so I'll just tell you the way that they renew driver's licenses in this state is you go down to the Department of Motor Vehicles, the DMV, and they take your picture. And then a few weeks or whenever later, you get your driver's license in the mail, and there's your picture. And then you renew every five years, and they go through several five-year cycles. You don't have to take a new picture. They just, you send in your money and just get a new driver's license. So, you know, Five years later, I kept going through several cycles. I kept sending, there's a picture. New driver's license comes with a new expiration date. Yep, that's me. Kept going. 
Then it was like 15 or 20 years, something like that. I had to go down to get a new picture. Um, go down to DMV, take my picture, no big deal. Come back, pull out the new driver's license, pull out the old one. What the? What happened? Then I look in the mirror and I see some old guy looking back at me. <laughs> what, wh what happened to my youth? Where'd my youth go? Wh what happened? Who's that old guy? <laughs> right? That's my teacher. That's the body teaching me. Right? And it's teaching me to not wait because it gets worse than this. Because <laughs> where's it going to end? Where's it going to end? My friend is dying today. You know, when um, Nikki had mentioned that Ananda who was the Buddha's younger cousin, was also the Buddha's attendant during the last 25 years of the Buddha's life. There's a story of Buddha, taught to Buddha, Ananda outlived the Buddha. And the Buddha saying, when he had heard that one of his, he had these, also these two chief disciples, uh, Mahamogalana and Sariputta. And Sariputta died a couple of months before the Buddha. And then when the Buddha heard, the Buddha said, oh, sorry, Put I mean, I'm putting in tone of voice, but he said, he just said, you know, and this is formalized language in the text, but he said, oh, sorry, Put And he said, it's like the light of the, the sun or the moon, the light went out. And I picture him as a human being, even though he was awakened, feeling the pain that we feel as human beings of the loss. So my friend dying, you know, that's a body teaching me also. Uh, he and I, when I was young, I was a rock climber. I'll just tell you a little background here, um, why it's so particularly poignant for me. Uh, I was a rock climber for more than a decade, a number of years. I was really a, into it a lot. And he was my main climbing partner. And I think for 10 years, like twice a month, we were climbing in Yosemite. We did all these big walls together, you know, spent multi-days up on sleeping on the, face and it was just like I was really into it and uh, we had kind of a, a soul bond connection but also we're really different he was an alcoholic um, had a lot of anger that wasn't all of who he was but those aspects could come out and after maybe 10 12 or 15 years together I was foolish I was trying to do I guess a one person intervention around his alcoholism. I don't think that's the way you're supposed to do it. You know, normally what you get the whole family, everybody, but uh, did it myself. Uh, it didn't go well. <laughs> and our relationship ended poorly and I didn't speak with him for 25 years. And about four years ago, he, he was in AA and he was going through the 12 steps. He was making amends. And he called me up. And I was so appreciative of that. And we reconnected. And I've seen him. He lives up uh, in Mount Shasta, Shasta City. And I've seen him three or four times over the last four years. And we, it was just like, we, we're just back, loving each other. And all the, we talked about what it, all, everything in the old times. And, and, but we were old. And so when I heard about him dying, which his wife called me just recently, and I, I'm actually walking around with my, we're not supposed to model this. I'm not being a good model, but I have my cell phone. It's not on ring, but on buzz. It's in my pocket because she's texting me kind of updates. So I'm sneaking out, getting little updates on how he's doing. And um, it's brought up so much in me of, um, you know, a lot of, uh, appreciation that he it's so appreciative that he contacted me again it meant so much to me but also like my lost youth we were strong and we were young and we were climbing these things and we could do anything and I remember being a climber 
and we were looking up and I was with a group of people and I, I just, just popped in my head. I haven't thought of this in years. Somebody said to me, um, you know, um, you notice you don't see any old people up here climbing. And I remember saying I was in my 30s. I was still not that young for a climber. And I said, that's not going to be me. I'm going to keep it up. I had no idea of what happens as the body starts to slow down. And I want to tell you, I eat organic vegetables. I exercise a lot. My whole life, I've, you know, going to gym, I, I'm not trying to be a bodybuilder, but I've always worked out with weights. I do a lot of cardio. I'm doing more as I'm getting older. I was laughing with someone, and they said, boy, you're exercising a lot. I said, well, you know, nature's trying to kill me. and I'm not going down without a fight. <laughs> and they said back to me, well, we know how that's going to end. <laughs> oh. And so, you know, we can laugh, but sometimes it's a mix, but it's also, it's like the poignancy of it. And so all these, and the regrets of all my life are, you know, just such a mix of, of floods of all these like just beautiful feelings and pain and sorrow is coming, is just coming flooding up with, 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 you know, with him dying. And, um, you know, but that's the teacher too. That's, it's not like we're going to come to a place, I mean, maybe you would, I, I don't know if it's so desirable, but we can, we, you know, to come to a place where we're so untouched by life that we have this perfect equanimity. I don't know anyone who's, cl- you know, and, and we never feel what it is. We're not a human being anymore. I don't think anybody's um, claiming that. I'm, or even if that's what's being pointed to. The non-clinging goes on subtler levels. We bring acceptance and wisdom and compassion to what's happening. And that includes our pain. You know. You know, when I have this, this uh, tears, I've been to a couple of people I've shared with just in the office or whatever, and I, but it's okay. You know, it's just what's happening. So when the difficulties come, you know, that's how it is in the moment. That's what I have now in this moment. So how am I going to be with that, right? And then depends on the situation. So, you know, just seeing what happens in the body and where it's going to end, if we're not afraid, and even if we're afraid, it's okay too, but, you know, to really just not have our heads in the sand, you know, let the body teach us. Uh, Someone once told me they were in a monastery in Thailand and in the monastery was a skeleton they had up, and the, the sign said, Miss Thailand, I don't know the year, 19, <laughs> 1924. <laughs> it's a skeleton. <laughs> and she had been a pious devotee, and out of service to others, had donated her body to be used so they could put her skeleton there as a teaching. Right? And so it's not meant to scare us when this happens. Let the body teach us. It's saying, let's not wait to the end. And we aren't. This is why I'm so appreciative that we're here. And we're actually trying to, the best we can, we're doing the best we can. By the way, I know some of you don't think you're doing the best you can. I, I know your mind is saying, well, no, I, I, yeah, yeah, but no, I'm not. I'm too lazy or I'm not. If, so he, here's the thing. This is one of these, I've, it's a good news, bad news. Um, I'll give you the bad news first. You're doing the best you can. It looks like this. Here's the good news. You're doing the best you can. And it looks like this. You feel the difference? We can bring some kindness for ourselves. If you could do it better, you would. We're all doing the best we can. And if you don't believe that's true, please come talk to Nikki or to me one-on-one. And if you really don't know you are, because we judge ourselves by the totally wrong criteria, worst criteria, which is, how well or poorly we judge ourselves to show up or manifest or do it in any particular situation. Totally wrong criteria. Nikki's been talking about intention. 
that's what speaks to what's more deeply true about all of us. What's our intention? What's our aspiration? So even when we fall flat on our face, in case you don't know, it's going to happen a thousand more times to all of us. We're not going to be perfect. But your good intention didn't change. How well we manifest, that's just how our minds are habituated. That's what we're working on. But our good intention, so staying in touch with our good intention could be a great support, especially during the difficult times, maybe when we're coming to the end times, to reflect on, you know, we can all find everything we did wrong and the regrets, and that can come. You know, I just have my friend dying. It's not even me, and I'm grieving my lost youth. I mean, that's not the whole picture. There's a lot of other things, but that part's coming up too, you know? It's okay. So we want to stay in touch knowing that, our in, in, that we're doing the best we can. And then we don't wait to the end, which is just a beautiful, wonderful thing. Hopefully that can gladden our hearts. Know, you know, well, I'm showing up here when it's not always so easy. It's easy to do this when you're, you know, sitting in bliss. And maybe some of you don't know what that is, but these things can happen. It's not that that's supposed to happen, but it can be very pleasant. And, and when that happens, you know, you're going, Oh, I don't want the bell to ring. I just, or the bell rings. I'm just going to sit here with this for another. How many times, though, has your knee been hurting? Can't concentrate. Back aches. Old resentments are roaring up. Whatever it is. And the bell rings and you say, I think I'm going to sit here another 15 minutes with this. <laughs> no. Right. So this is, you know, it, but it's, this, it's just, you, you know, we get seduced by the pleasure, but, but and we get, you know, repulsed by the, by the pain, and it's all arising and passing away. A big shift came in my practice. This was a major turning point. I even remember it. I was on a very long retreat, and um, I was probably maybe six months into it, or so it was a year long, and... Uh, something like that, and I was in the dining hall where I like to do my walking, and uh, I remember noticing that I was just as interested in my suffering as I was in my bliss. And then it's like, I realized that it was so liberating, right? Interesting place. And it doesn't mean that the difficulties are going to magically, you know, when when the pain comes, it's not that all of a sudden it's going to turn to, you know, New age music start playing and flower petals start coming down. No, it hurts. It's, uh, it's painful. But we have underneath it can be a balance. So even as the storm clouds of the mind come through, we have a stability that we can meet things with, at least better. We have a better chance. So using the body also is another way, as just as a way to anchoring. This is what Nikki was talking about some of this as a place to stabilize us, ourselves. Get grounded in the body can also be a, a great aid and support. I want to say a little bit more about this whole idea of death. I don't mean this to be a death contemplation, but I just when I was thinking about uh, Miss Thailand who and, and her skeleton and what death can teach us. You know, there's a few other, when we really keep knowing how it's going to end when we're really conscious of it, the purpose of it, it's not to make us morose or to scare us or anything. It can, I mean, it's a, you know, but the, the, it's, it's how does it inform how we live? Right? And so, I was talking to someone earlier and I swore to myself I would not use a Donald Trump analogy, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to do it. And by the way, um, I don't make any assumptions about anyone's politics. You know, generally in the Dharma scene, we kind of tend to assume everybody's a liberal and blah, blah, blah. Not true. So if your politics are, I'm, 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 I'm a liberal, but if your politics are different, that's all right. We, you know, we talk about making it safe space for everyone, you know, and we talk about different ethnicities and genders and sexual orientations and religions and backgrounds and cultures, but um, um, uh, political um, persuasions too, really. You don't have to hide. You don't have to 
we're not putting politics out there. I'm just saying, so my analogy, my point, the reason I say that is I don't want people to feel unsafe and also I don't want, uh, my point is not about the politics. If you're a, a Donald Trump supporter, you just substitute Hillary Clinton every time I say Trump and it works. <laughs> okay, so that's got that, so okay. So I'm reflecting on, the, well first thing, this was not actually what I wanted to say, but um, it just struck me, I, I, somehow this popped in my mind. Um, I hope we all know that we should not hate this man. So it's an interesting place to, to, if he happens to be a challenging person for you, he's a real challenging person for me. Remember I said to you earlier that I have an aspiration to live in a way where my heart never closes off to any beings? Well, I'm not claiming I don't have more uh, you know, work to do. And I like to see it as a teaching and an opportunity. So when a challenging person comes, either in my personal life or someone that I actually think is an existential threat on a society lev societal <laughs> level or whatever, I don't have to start feeling warm and fuzzy and fall in love with him. My only question is, can I just have my heart not close off to him? Can I not lose the humanity and empathy? We still gotta stop the guy both in public and hopefully he's been exposed so you know he, he can't hurt people with his private business dealing so much. You know, I'm not saying we don't have to do all of that. But what does it look like? What would it look like for the heart to stay not closed, to have some empathy? So I of course don't know what's in his heart and mind, but I just go by the way he what he says. And um you know what is Knowing where it's going to end, so this is the body teaching us. Knowing where it ends up, I, why would there be no apparent kindness or empathy? All my life is, do I really want my life to be about just winners and losers? And you know, being so great and ostentatious, um, you know, gross materialism? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't make the judgment for someone else. And, and that's not my point. Somebody might say, well, yeah, you make hay while the sun shines. So be it. When I reflect on the way it's all gonna end, for me, and I'm, I'm probably share similar to you, it's like, what is really of importance? And to me, it's, it's because where am I gonna end up? I'm going to be, with all of you, by the way, swept away into the dustbin of history. This center, spirit rock, our culture, eventually the planet. No one will remain. All we have is the quality, and then we fare on according to our karma, whatever your beliefs about that, fine. So what's of importance? Does that mean nothing matters? I don't think so. To me, it means everything matters. Because we're all in this boat together. We're all facing the same situation. Everyone needs compassion and empathy. So the next time, if something happens where you feel like you're going to act in a way that's unskillful, let the body teach you. If you're about, you know, if the energy in the moment is intense because of the situation and it's pulling and you really want to say whatever that thing is you want to say, just reflect. Life is uncertain. You could die at any moment. If that person was to die, are your harsh words the last thing you want them to hear, have heard? Or what if you were to die? Do you want that to be your last action? or the last thing you said. Now sometimes we need to be respectful. The energy can be very strong and it's hard to go against the energy. So okay, we need compassion for ourselves. But to the best we can, let it help us. And then you know you do the best you can. Reflecting on that, the body's teaching us. It's saying this is, this is life and nothing's going wrong. And it's when, our, when it's our time, nothing is going wrong. It's just what happens to bodies. That's the teaching. Let's learn to let go now of clinging the best we can. 
let's learn now to keep our heart open. You know, my, my, when my mother died about a year and a half ago, she was a very anxious, fearful person. She had a lot of love in her heart too. Um, she, um, she used to say to me, you know, she's dealing with a lot of difficulties and she'd say, honey, what am I gonna do? You just do the best you can. Life is what it is. You just have to take it and you deal with it and you work with it the best you can. I thought, why am I having to spend all these years <laughs> suffering on retreats and working on myself? She's just got it. <laughs> and to some degree she did, but she also had cultivated a lot of anxiety and fear and she actually died with a mix in the same way as she had lived. Now, none of us know how we're going to die. I don't want to be arrogant about it. But I know that the more we cultivate, I'll call them wholesome qualities, these Dharma qualities, at least we have a better chance to carry them with us when it's our time. At least I, I, I believe, I like to think. And then, you know, I, I don't judge anyone for how they die. Apps, I mean, really. But I'm just saying for each of us, hopefully if we cultivate that, but that's the teaching of the body. It can really be a motivator. It can give us what sometimes the term is like a spiritual urgency. Not a spiritual urgency. That, I don't like that term though because it's the common term because it has a sense of like, it, it can, if we don't hold it with proper perspective, have a sense of panic. Like I'm gonna die and I have to, no. It's just, let's try to use our time well. Doesn't mean you won't ever space out or waste time. My father was an infantryman in World War II and I grew up watching uh, World War II movies with him. So it's programmed in my mind. You wanna get me to waste time? Just come up here and say, Richard, downstairs, uh, you didn't know there's a little room for the staff. I actually don't know if this is true. Uh, and they have a TV and by the way, they're playing this old World War II movie. Forget you all. <laughs> I'm down there watching the movie. <laughs> I mean, not really, forget you all. But you know, I will just sit there and space out on a World War II movie, you know. It's program. I, I can waste time. We do the best we can to use our time well. That's the teaching of the body, right? Compassion for others, that they're in the same situation that we're in. And we don't know, you know, when we talk about empathy, there's a whole, it's, it's a whole lifetime of practice to really understand another person's experience knowing, but we have to be open to it. We can't just, you know, shut off, oh, that person's just a, and then we think we know all about them. We don't know anything about them. What is it like to really be in their world? You know, given their whole history of their family, their ethnicity, their race, their class, their religion, their sexual orientation, their, you just go on and on and on. What, what's it like for them, you know? So knowing that we're all in this together, because if we want to, if we want to create less suffering, then we want to know the effects of our actions. Right? I was once teaching a retreat at Spirit Rock and one of the co-teachers was is a um, gay teacher and I had used an example there about my wife. And I'm just, I just did it here in this retreat too. I'm just talking, you know, I said my wife something, you know, like I use her as an example sometimes. And then later he took me aside, no problem, it wasn't anything. He just wanted to share with me as a way of connecting that when I talked about my wife, it brought up with him everything for him as a gay man with his partner that he would, that I don't have to give it a second thought. I didn't give it a second thought. But for him, it was a whole world that came up about well, what's not, it wouldn't be safe for him to so casually talk about his, and I don't know what term, his husband, his partner, whatever, as, as casually as if you're talking about the weather the way I would do it. And I was so appreciative of him. I said, thank you. I know how the LBGT community, Q community is treated in this culture. But it didn't even occur to me in that moment. Now, Every time I use an example of my wife, happened tonight too. I may, I, I may or may not change, but I'm aware that there may be people here who um, aren't in a relationship and wish they were, 
or in a terrible relationship and wish they were out, or just lost a spouse, or it could go on and on and on, that there are, uh, my words have um, repercussions, or maybe, I don't know, for others. I just have that awareness. And it's a way of just bringing in an empathy for other people. When I was in, um, uh, some of you know, I'm the co-founder of an organization called Mindful Schools, which uh, you know, d- works with, uh, trains people to teach mindfulness in schools. And when we first started, I'm just on the board now, I don't do much, but uh, I was involved in the organization in the, in the early days. I was the, the, the teacher for it in the beginning. And I went into, uh, here I am, an old white guy walking into an inner city Oakland school. Predominantly Hispanic and African American. And in a neighborhood that, um, you know, was in a more high crime neighborhood. And I'm there teaching and it was fine. And, you know, and I was aware of that and we were connected. I didn't, I was wondering, how is it them for see some, I wasn't young, I was old, white guy walking in there. I didn't know, but I was aware and just thinking it wasn't. And then one of the kids came up, a sweet little kid, third grader, and he just wanted to tell me how much he appreciated mindfulness because it just brings up emotion. It helped him. Because when he takes the garbage out, it's unsafe. He has to carry a baseball bat with him for protection when he carries the, the garbage out. Just taking the garbage out, this little kid. And the mindfulness helps him so much. And he's just telling me this as if he's talking about a sports team or the weather. You know, I know some of this, how life is for lots of people, but you know, I'm, I, you know, when people talk about a white privilege, this wasn't, I didn't want to get into this too much, but that's a perfect example right there. Yeah, I never think about, I'm just taking the garbage out, right? Because of I happen to have the resources, whatever it is, to live in a place where I don't have to think about it. Now, I don't have to try to do it. On its own, when I take out the garbage, the awareness pops out that I, you don't notice what's not there sometimes. I'm aware when I take the garbage out, I'm not carrying a baseball bat. It, I don't have to worry about and that there are other people for whom that's not true. That awareness is in my mind. It opens me up to empathy for other people. And that then hopefully maybe leads into shifts in how we show up in life and how we maybe, you know, we have to see how that is for each of us, right? And so this kind of empathy for others can go on and on, but it all starts with a a willingness or or just a intention around that we're all together, we're all human beings here, and we're all in the same situation. We all have our own joys and we all have our own suffering. And that's the wisdom that comes from the body, just that. We don't have to wait, of course, until we die. The body's giving us joys and it's giving us suffering. And some of you are too young to know this yet. Well, you could be young and be dealing with chronic pain, so I need to be respectful. But, um, you know, as I'm getting older, more and more, more often than it used to be, I'll just wake up some morning. Something just hurts for no apparent reason. <laughs> That's happening more. What's going on? This happens as bodies gets older. That's another teaching that the body gives us. I'm going to wrap it up pretty soon here. That's another teaching that um, there's an impersonal nature to the body. It's personal. I mean, it's your body. This is not your body. This is my body. So it's personal. But it's impersonal because it, it just continues along according to its, causes and its own causes and conditions. I mean, that age spot there, I didn't will it to come and I sure as hell couldn't will it to go away. I tried. (laughs) So, you know, the body just rolls along in its own way. So that's another thing to keep in mind about not only is it teaching us about compassion for ourselves. By the way, I'm sorry, I... um, 
I wanted to spend more time on this, but I'll just mention another piece of the compassion is, what about those of us who, you know, it's easy to sit up here and say, be present with your experience. But I try not to do that too much because I'm quite aware that um, it's so easy to sit up here when I'm not in uh, chronic pain. And I haven't been sitting in it for years. That's a, that's a tough teacher. And maybe sometimes it's too much to be even a teaching. You know, we do the best we can. I, I met a woman once in a wheelchair and her fingers were com- completely twisted and gnarled up. She was pretty old and she was just glowing, uh, radiant. And she was talking, she's a Dharma practitioner, and she, and she was talking about her chronic rheumatoid arthritis and pain. And, and, and I said, well, are you in pain right now? She goes, oh yeah, I'm, I'm always in pain. It's actually pretty intense. And, I, and, and, she, uh, and it's always funny to me when, uh, not funny, but you know, sometimes people ask me, it's come to me in the interviews what, about that. And it's like, well, what am I going to tell them? What I sometimes say is we need you to come up here and teach us. You tell us, how, how do you work with it? What is the way? I don't want to be glib about it. We do the best we can. That's the answer. And what she told me is because her body's teacher, there was no way out. There was no way out. It forced her, and she, she was very clear she would not have wanted this teaching. But it forced her, and I mean, I think it was a period of years, to go through it and just kind of give herself over into it. I've talked about letting down, stopping the fight. And she said it actually opened her up into this joy. That's what she told me. And you could see it and she was just radiant and everything. So I know that people can work with strong difficulties, but I'm also very respectful that, you know, I don't have, we do the best we can with, with that. So, but that's another place where the body can open us into the compassion when it really is suffering. And we'll all have our times of suffering. And when it's our burden to suffer, that's our task in a way, if you want to, that's a little weird way to say it. We do the best we can. We need a lot of compassion during those times. So that's another way the body can teach us during the difficult times. And then we're not so harsh on others because we've suffered too. That we're all, hopefully we're all fellow sufferer, experiencers of happiness but we're also all fellow sufferers. We've all suffered. That can open, uh, that can open the heart. The, we all have bodies that are unfolding according to their own causes and conditions. That can lead to the compassion and the wisdom piece of, of, of the non-clinging. And yes, even if we eat organic vegetables, the body's going to slow down. Ajahn Chah once said, and I totally relate to this, he once said, my legs used to carry me around, now I have to carry them around. And I think about that because going back to the days when I was a rock climber, once we, we had gone up this three mile trail uphill and we climbed this big thing, and then when we were coming back down, we, this is like youth. We had these heavy packs, all this rock climbing gear, we, we had a race. One guy started off down the trail we gave him about one minute. And then the, the, myself and the other guy, our job was to chase him down there, see if we could catch him or if he could not get caught. And we're just bombing down this hill and for three miles I got these packs and we're jumping over switchbacks and we were strong and young. And now, I mean, the, the th- just thinking about, <laughs> it makes me tired. I, I need a nap. And I really do, like my legs feel heavier. And when I go to the gym, I used to love going to the gym. I just liked to lift the weights and it felt good. Now, never feels good to me. Just do it because I don't let whether it's pleasant or unpleasant make the decision. So we're all in the same situation there. We're all aging. We all know where it's going to end. And so we're all in this together. And we can let the wisdom of the body um, just as much as we can, knowing when to open to it, and also, when is it time to, of course, step back? We maybe need a break to pull away and, and you know, we don't, 
just like in school, you don't want to be around your teacher 24-7. Sometimes we need to, you know, get a break too. So that's part of just respecting our, just respecting ourselves also. So, yeah. So I hope that was useful, uh, helpful around how, you know, we can use, let the body, let life act as a teacher. I guess I'll end with one last thing. This isn't the same thing of, of teacher. I once heard someone, I don't remember where this came from, say, do an experiment as you go through life. Imagine that everyone is fully enlightened except you. And everything that they're doing is in service for your sake, for your liberation and for waking up. And um, that's a, I have done that experiment. It is an interesting experiment. And you, you may not keep it up. I don't know how long you can keep it up, but try it for five minutes, 10, half an hour, half a day, a day, whatever. Try it on. And it can shift your relationship with everything. And then we can step out of the, uh, you know, we can have appreciation for people or at least our hearts don't close off. At least that, we can just say that. We can just stay more. We don't fall into our judgments and views and opinions. And then we can step out of the, uh, that experiment and just realize that, well, what shifted in my mind? I just did an experiment and my perception, my perspective shifted in relationship to others. So why can't I have that? I don't even have to pretend that they're all enlightened. Just why can't I shift in that kind of perspective with life and others more when I can remember anyway? So you can see if that's useful for you. So uh, thank you for your kind attention. I, uh, and let's sit uh, quietly together just for just a few moments and then I'll ring the bell to end.